What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 168 on this Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. First show of 2023. This is our year at All Sooners. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Brian Chapman and more. No John Hoover. He's hurtling back across the country from Orlando uh, in his vehicle, which had problems. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So we have Ross Loveless, our fourth member, subbing in for him. He's in Oklahoma City as well. Ross, appreciate you hopping in. Of course. Of course. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Ryan, how have you recovered from Florida? I can't believe that game was almost a week ago. I kind of... Yeah, I'm getting the rundown for the show, and it kind of struck me that was almost a week ago because I have not recovered at all. Like I'm still catching up big time on sleep. <laughs> no, no recovery whatsoever. Uh, we had to catch up on sleep. Had OU Texas basketball. Still didn't catch up on sleep. Uh, the good news is though, my car battery has lasted this past <laughs> week, which is the big question at the All Sooners crew is the strength of our batteries. Yeah, you know, if you listen to the post game show uh, that we did we, into the wee hours uh, after the game, um, you heard us recount some of our travel woes a little bit at the time. That wasn't even scratching the surface because it got more <laughs> insane after we finished that show. We left the stadium. We're locked in, which is not new for us. This has happened many times. We're locked in. We cannot get out of the not even the stadium, but the surrounding area. There's just fences everywhere that are all padlocked how long would you say around an hour i mean we walked around forever trying to get uh, out of the stadium i think it ended up being i think our escape plan lasted like 30 35 minutes because <laughs> it was about an hour when we had wrapped the pod but we did go down to field level goof around a little bit take sure. a few photos as they're scrubbing the field stuff like that uh, who was recounting old war stories from the sweatpants bowl, which yeah. were uh, entertaining. And then, uh, yeah, we, we meandered around the bowels and adjacent area of the camping world complex, looking for someone that a, uh, spoke our language and B knew what gate was open. Keep in mind too, that we mentioned, I think we mentioned on the, on the, on the post game show, but Ryan and I had a six thirty AM flight. So we were not, we were not planning to really sleep. We were going to probably go straight there, but we thought we had loads of time. Now we're like kind of sweating it a little. So after this very long endeavor, we're like all of a sudden we're up against it, which is so stupid that we're up against it <laughs> on making it for a flight. We get, it's kind of a long walk to where who's parked. His car is dead. It's three in the morning in the middle of Florida. There's nobody, literally just no people as far as I can see in every direction. And whose car is inexplicably dead for no apparent reason. And we're just sitting there like, what do we do? We, we hung out for a little bit, but Ryan and I eventually had, we felt terrible, but we're like, we have to Uber. We're going to miss our freaking flight. So we left, we left John Hoover. Now what happened after that? I don't really know. We'll have to have him pick it up next week. That's where the story ends because we Ubered the hotel. We got our crap and we Ubered straight to the hotel. We literally did not sleep, pulled an all nighter. And came home, which is why we're still recovering. So it was a trip from hell. It was doomed from the start. We got, we made it happen, but the now the amount of things that went wrong, yeah. unbelievable. I I think the way I described it is so like no one, not a single person on the OU beat got to Orlando at their originally scheduled time. No, right, no everyone had travel issues. So basically, the entire beat was in Dante's Inferno. It was just a matter of. 
what circle of hell you happen to be in. I think that Ryan Aber and Jesse Crittenden probably had it the worst. Sure. Um, and then there are a couple of people that, yeah, it was minor. And, and for us, it started as, yeah, this was just a minor inconvenience, but then the hotel issue, the who's battery not like it quickly. We went from like, it should have just been minor inconvenience to, Oh my God, this is the worst. Get us out of Orlando, please. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. So yeah, that that's everything that uh, I think Ross has caught up now. It was not yes. good, man. I am. Yeah. It did. This not sound fun. I, I watched that game from my couch and can't say, <laughs> can't say I had many of those problems. The, I, you know, I don't know. Ironically, it's not the right word, but, the game was the only smooth thing. The cheese bowl was great. It was, <laughs> it was pretty ironic. <laughs> it was good weather and it was a fun game and all that stuff we talked about on the post game show, but it was not good. So that, but anyway, that recounts kind of everything. Long story we, short, I'm still tired. Like I have not, you, you, when you pull an all nighter like that, it takes a no long record. time to get it back. Right. Did you see that we did get robbed at the cheese it bowl though? So no. we, rightfully so made a big to do about our close personal friend, Prince Chedward, the Cheez-It mascot, but Cheez-It also sponsors the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which was LSU just running riot over Purdue. This hit close to home for me. They rolled a Cheez-It box out to midfield and out of the top of the Cheez-It box, there was smoke, there was EDM. So I'm already feeling whatever's happening. And it wasn't Prince Chedward, but it was a man in a Cheez-It costume DJing like a DJ booth from the top of this Cheez-It box at midfield at like 11 a.m. in the middle of the Florida sun. I was like, you have a night game. The lights were popping. Like, why did you not roll out the Cheez-It rave DJ for Ryan? Like, what's going on? And, and the crowd was sig- obviously significantly better for the OU Florida State game. I, that LSU Purdue crowd was it wasn't full in there. Put it that way. And uh, that game was terrible. LSU won by 90. Um, yeah, I'm with you. That that was a misstep by the good people at, at Cheez-It. So we'll see if they uh, bounce back next year. Learn from your mistakes and and, yeah. and bounce back next year. But uh, that's where we'll, we'll start. We, we usually do. I mean, normally we have the games. We have the post-game show. We recap it all. And we come back typically, obviously, in a normal week a few days later. This has been almost a full week. But having had time to, to watch some highlights back and, and kind of let it wash over you. Um, and obviously this will be Ross's first chance to dive in on it. Just kind of reaction to uh, the game. I think as time goes on, it just kind of looks better. Frankly, it's, it makes no sense how Oklahoma was in that game. Yeah. it All, all the same stuff we kind of talked about in the post game of like, you have negative expectations for an offensive line that was, playing four backups, and then they had to roll out a fifth backup on the third offensive play of the game after Sexton went down. So I think that all holds – when you go back and look at it, it too, I, I know I was pretty – critical is maybe not the right word, but it's just like, hey, the pass protection was bad, but I don't think anyone's really going to ding a group of four backups against a really good defensive line like too much. But that all seemed to be more – busts than like just flat out getting beat like there were times don't get me wrong where a certain guy gets flat out beat all that stuff but uh i think that's almost more encouraging too that it's like hey you have an entire spring fall camp all that stuff you have to imagine a lot of that's going to get ironed out because this was a makeshift group uh the only thing on you flip over to the defensive side of the ball i'm still a little perplexed as to why we didn't see, and I'm not saying that like Robert Spears Jennings need to play 50 snaps, but it, it just felt like, okay, 
Justin Broyles, Trey Morrison, CJ Colden, Deshaun White, all those guys are playing in their last game, but they could play 80% of the snaps they normally play, and you could work in some of those other younger guys just to get them more experience. But um, Oklahoma was in a football game. I don't know if that was the the plan going. I know they're going to say, yes, of course, we thought we were going to compete, but I don't know if anyone on that sideline actually thought they're going to be in that football game. So uh, Brentman was that coaching staff is out there trying to win it. So I, I can kind of see that too. I, I just wish we got to see a little bit more of the young defensive talent just after they had had that bowl practice period where they could get a lot more reps on, on the practice field. Yeah, I was obviously like everyone else shocked at the running game, but the commitment to the running game too, just like it was obviously the game plan to, to run the ball that many times. And they felt confidence even without, um, you know, those starters, like you mentioned, rewatching it, I thought Marvin Mims made two or three incredible plays. Again, just like it's become pretty normal that we're kind of like desensitized to it, but he made some incredible catches again. Um, and I know he hasn't really hasn't really said publicly one way or another, but that would be huge. Um, yeah, it's it's time. That would be huge one way. Um, yeah. But like I, I really I, I didn't really think about it, but the defensive, uh, the young defensive players not getting on the field is definitely um, something to think about because I feel like we kind of, we kind of heard all all season leading up into bowl season that this was kind of the time for the young players to step up and get thrown into the fire. And on offense, we did see that, and on defense, you know, maybe not as much, but I definitely think um, the talent is still there. And and I think this is kind of what like the fan base needed to 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 see some of those stars emerge and to, to uh, have a few players to kind of get behind heading into the offseason too. I think it was really kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, no, I mean, it. it's hard not to just, you know, and it, it's not a spot we talked about in the postgame show, like Ryan said, but it's hard not to just feel like it's not a spot Oklahoma's in very often where it's just a loss that you're okay with, but that that's how it is. It didn't, it didn't really make much sense what they did. And that, that's bowl season for you. There's lots of games that don't make a whole lot of sense, um, at least on paper, but good, good overall for Oklahoma. So we did a little bit on the post game show, spinning it forward, obviously, and kind of looking at the big picture into next year. We'll kind of do that a little bit now as, as the season is completely over, right? We're in 2023 bowl games are in the rear view. The only game left for college bowl is the natty, um, you know, next Monday, it's full blown off season pretty much in these here parts now. So kind of final thoughts on, on the first season for Brent Venables. And I guess obviously put into context how bad you feel like it was, you know, cause some people will just look at it and they say, Hey, six and seven first losing season uh, of the, of the millennium, you know, and all that good stuff. And you, is there a pot, I guess, how many excuses are you willing to make and, and how confident are you are going forward that, Brent Venables is the guy and that Oklahoma is going to get this where it needs to be and, and all that stuff with uh, the season, you know, over and we're looking ahead now. Yeah. I, I don't think that the headline thing that remember Brent Venables is not on the hot seat. He should not be on the hot seat. And so from there we're going to nitpick. Right. And so I, yeah. I think that's the thing to remember as we kind of get into this, but it's kind of confusing to go through because initially, so the Kansas State loss, you can talk about Brent Venables transitioning to a new defense. It looked kind of like the same old, same old. He probably needs a year or two for that to happen. TCU was bad, and then it got worse by Gabriel not being out there. Texas, it's really bad that you don't have a backup quarterback that you feel like can throw a forward pass, but your quarterback room had been ravaged by the portal. So 
I mean, if you want to explain that away, fine. Then, then you look at Baylor, you just get run over. Not good. But then you get into kind of some of the coaching errors and decisions of Brett Venables. We've talked a ton about the West Virginia game, the fourth downs, when he kicked it, when he went for it, things like that. Uh, Oklahoma State, you win Bedlam, but the entire second half is kind of like, a, hey, does anyone know that OU needs to be able to run clock here? Like th- That seemed like yeah. a very first-year head coaching thing. Tech, you have a big lead, and then you give it away with the momentum. And then Florida State, you're, you're outgunned talent-wise just because of all the opt-outs and stuff. But then you you still have the moment of the, the couple of timeouts burned in the third quarter. So I, like there are, are questions about game management that, okay, he was a first-year head coach. Let's see what he does with an offseason. And then next year, if those questions remain, then you start going, okay, great defensive coordinator. Can he manage a game? That, like, that becomes like the question. I think that's kind of an incomplete and then this sh- same thing with the personnel defensively, like, okay, they were very stubborn to stick to the, Hey, we're going to play both the three man front and the four man front, even though we don't have the horses to play that because that, that's the defense you're going to run. So now that you've had one off season to, albeit freshmen, but get a couple of guys in that are more what you want. Okay. D- do you kind of start to see some progress? If it's just young freshman mistakes that are happening, but the defense looks like it's moving in the right direction. Then I think you feel a lot better. And so, You've got that. The way that he recruited, considering they finished six and six by the time that it was signed, uh, is like that's a welcome to the SEC moment. Like that's that's the only conference that posts just laughable seasons record wise and still pumps out top ten classes. So that's yeah. a huge optimism. And I, I think that to what you saw throughout the back end of the year, where they did go out and fight like that in a bowl game that meant nothing. Like that shows that. Whether fans are tired of hearing it or not, toward the end of the season, the the, the stuff that Britt Venable says about they're together and they're moving forward, like that was clearly happening. OU did not just roll over and die in any of these games down the back half of the season. If anything, they lost them from winning positions. So that's good. And, and I think that the West Virginia game, the Texas Tech game, the Florida State game are legitimate like one possession games that you talk about a couple of plays here or there. You can turn that thing around. And suddenly, if, if you make that improvement, you're looking at an eight, nine win season next year. Now, K State was it, on paper one possession game, sure, but that was a two score game most of the second half. Oh, you scored with like 35 seconds left to make it one touchdown. Baylor, if Mr. the Squirrel hadn't knelt on the ball, that would have been a 10 point loss. That was not a one possession loss, anything like that. So I, I think it's important to remember that as flipping those around. We're not actually talking about five games. We're talking about three games when, when you roll that into next offseason. But um, overall, I think this staff underachieved the talent that was on the roster. I, I don't think that the the talent suck was that big coming out of the portal that you go from what Oklahoma was last year, 10 wins down to six and seven. But that can be forgiven if it if you see that huge progress next year and you say this was truly a year where he had to come in, strip everything back, and say we're, we're dealing with this roster. None of them fit defensively what we want to do. We're going to play with it anyway. And then you build that up. So I, I almost think the legacy of this season has a lot to do with what this team looks like next year. Uh, but for now, with what you did recruiting, that's a fine foundation. And it, it just becomes uh, – you have to step back and take a look and go – it's not a 100% sure thing. Brent Middle's going to be an awesome head coach, but it also doesn't mean that this can't be the one-year blip where he hit the reset button and, and and starts to build what he wanted to be two or three years from now. Yeah, there, there's absolutely some game management questions for sure, like you mentioned, but some of those, 
you know, the offense didn't really help out either. Like some of the fourth and fours, fourth and threes that maybe Brent wanted to go for were negated by hurrying up to the line of scrimmage and running up the middle. And then, you know, you have that fourth and four instead of fourth and one. And maybe that was where he wanted to go for it. So I feel like just like a learning experience for, you know, Jeff Levy too, and just the kind of how to control the game all around um, and them kind of getting on the same page. Cause I feel like a lot of times they're on the same page. I think who've said we, I don't, I don't think we had one game where the offense and defense wasn't trying to lose it for each other, whichever one was playing good. The other one was playing bad that game. Like it, it just never felt like everything really clicked on the same page. And then, you know, to have that Florida State game to end where, you know, you kind of see some, uh, you know, competence almost. Like in some of those losses, you know, dudes were just running down the field completely wide. It was coverage bust. Dudes were wide open. You know, they, it just looked like people didn't really understand the defense or understand what was going on. And then Florida State, you have everyone playing, you know, really hard. And it's just Florida State was just the better team. That's just what it was. And, and, uh, just to kind of see, you know, some of those coverage busts shored up and and the players actually looking like, you know, they understood the defense and what was going on. Um, it was definitely big to see that, especially for, you know, guys wanting to um, explore their options in the transfer portal both ways. People that, you know, seeing that, oh, you might have might have some momentum, might have it figured out heading into next year, might want to be a part of that. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, I think that I think that the legacy of this team will ultimately come down to what happens on the field um, next year because they're definitely positioned um, to have a better season next season. Like, like you said, um, I think that maybe the fans and the national media expectations were a little bit too high for this team. But with that said, the coaching staff definitely underachieved with what they had. Um, there was definitely some of both uh, there on both sides. I, I think that... Um, you know, they were a few plays away and a few plays can be, um, you know, changed by a star player like like they had last year. And I think that um, just that chemistry and maybe an extra offseason together could could help some of those star players get on the same page heading into next season. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you guys said. And, you know, that that's the obvious spin zone, right? Was the 0-5 and one score games? And um, I agree with that notion a lot. And that, that that's I've been, I feel like, pretty critical of Dylan Gabriel, um, especially in the back end of the season. And but that—that's really where I would worry if I'm an Oklahoma fan about it being better next year, just because. While Gabriel is a fine college quarterback, has moments where he looks really good. Too often he was inconsistent, and you just you can't help but feel like if they had more elite quarterback play like Oklahoma's used to, that even just this year's team changing nothing else but just swapping in. Um, if Caleb Williams had stayed per se, three more wins or so, you know what I mean? So we'll, we'll see if he can improve and make up that gap. And, um, I will say another positive thing for Oklahoma is that it seems like the buy-in was always there. Um, mm -hmm. players played hard. Um, it seemed like there was always a confidence that it would get better. It never really did, but you know, that there would get better next year. Danny Stutzman, I remember really pounding that drum after the Texas tech game saying, it's not over for, you know, I mean, we're going to lose some guys, seniors and things like that, but it's not over. We're going to, you know, most of the team's going to be back and we're, we're going to be better. I promise, you know? So, and I, I think that that's a good uh, sign. You didn't really lose anything of consequence into the transfer portal. I mean, Theo East goes, but outside of that, it's a lot of just who cares, frankly. I mean, most of the guys didn't contribute like Brent said in any meaningful way on the field. And to that end, you get a couple of guys back, Isaiah Cohen, Woody Washington, they announced they're coming back to the team, which, you know, it, it was expected they'd be back. That was a thought. But 
still nice to see it and then to see it be, um, you know, some some positive energy behind it. You know, let's run this back, you know, things like that. I think that there's I think there's a lot of excitement. I think most of the team genuinely feels like another offseason it's going to be different. I think that this team was really, really hurt and took the losing really, really hard. And so the hope has got to be for Oklahoma that everybody's going to attack this offseason with a lot of gusto, you know, to make it be different next time around, because I think everyone, I think all these guys did not like it. And, uh, you know, it, you could tell as we went on, Ryan, you know, we, Ross was there a lot of the time too, going and talking to these guys every Monday night. As the season went, went on, it was more and more just kind of like just being beaten down and frustrated. And Ethan Downs talked at length about how much they wanted to win the cheese at Bowl to end the year on a high note and prove some people wrong. They didn't, but they still prove people wrong with how competitive the game was. So we'll see what happens. But obviously, pretty big news there to get Co and Washington back. These are two key pieces of your defense going into next year. Yeah, absolutely. And and especially when we've talked about so much about the defensive line, how can you kind of get that help? Okay, so Jalen Redman, who probably has your highest ceiling on that group, headed to the NFL draft, though he didn't he didn't play mar- like markedly better than Jeffrey Johnson or Jordan Kelly toward the end of the year or Co. toward the end of the year, it felt like. But that was just another body. So you're getting Jacob Lacey in, but Jacob Lacey's been a career just rotational guy at Notre Dame. I think that you're probably – like if he somehow comes out and turns this whole thing around, that's a huge boost. But I think you're setting yourself up for some disappointment if your expectation's not for him to just come in and be a rotational guy. So Isaiah Coe can come back in. He's a guy that – I know no one wants to talk about the last staff, but the last staff had always said he was one of the most explosive guys that they had when he came in, landed him at the JUCO. So another season for Jerry Schmidt and Todd Bates to try to refine that, that's going to be good, especially because you're going to have edge talent come in. Uh, P.J. Adivore looks like a guy that can come in and contribute right now at defensive end, but when you just look at some of the video from practice where a Derek LeBlanc was able to get some snaps in and, and things like that, as far as a, an early enrollee at practice, you can tell there's a difference between being an elite high school body and what it's like to play at Oklahoma. And so they're just going to take a little bit of time to physical development, which is fine. That That's what you're supposed to do there. So while you wait on like a Grayson Halton to come along while, while you wait on that, Having Co back to lead that group is big time. And then same thing at corner, opposite of Woody Washington, you already had kind of a little bit of a, what's that going to look like without Colden? Is it going to be Gentry Williams? Is it going to be, um, is Kanai Walker going to play a role? Kendall Dole be a Juco guy? Can he come in and immediately contribute? If you don't have Woody, then you're having to replace both of those guys, which is just uh, a big headache. So that's huge for him to come back as well. And so, yeah, th- that's only positives for this defense that, gives you time to stack in people behind and develop. Because like you mentioned earlier, Josh, a lot of what Oklahoma lost through the portal was defensive scout team fodder. And so that's a whole year of trying to invest in those guys to get better that didn't pan out. So now you're having to reset. They signed seven DBs. It's going to take a little bit to get those guys up to speed. So having a corner come back is going to help that development process. Yeah, I think, you know, Co especially back is huge because I think anyone that you talk to would say that defensive line would be an area of concern heading into next season, especially that interior defensive line, um, defensive tackle spot. And I think that, you know, when Co's been on the field, it's evident he's on the field. He's he's been a difference maker. He hasn't really, you know, been able to step into like that that star role next season. You know, he has he has a chance. He's he's the leader of that group. And then 
you know, with, with Woody Washington, I know that people were kind of expecting him to come back, but my mind goes straight to Trey Norwood. Uh, you know, fans thought he was coming back for sure too. And just to kind of, you know, get an extra year of one of those corners, it's not, it's not always a guarantee, especially at OU. They've, they've um, been on the wrong side of some of those early, um, you know, early draft declares. And I, and I think having Woody Washington back, um, definitely erases some of the headache, like you said. Um, but it also allows, um, those young, you know, this is one of the best defensive back classes OU's ever signed. It allows some of those guys to learn from someone who's been here, um, been there for, for years, who's been through it, um, who has a year with the coaching staff, uh, just, just someone to learn from even not, you know, on the field, um, but just off the field too that'll be really big for some of those guys development. And I'm, and I'm sure that, you know, the coaching staff is really excited um, for them to learn to someone for them to learn from someone like Woody Washington. Um, and so I think both of those guys coming back is massive in, in ways bigger than on the field too. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there was, I saw, you know, there was a little bit of pushback from some fans kind of saying, do we, do we really, do we want, you know, pieces of the defense that wasn't great back and, my, my response to that would just would just be Woody Washington is not the problem um, by any means. And then, like we were just saying, defensive tackle is really thin. Uh, getting Isaiah Coe back, really needed. Redmond and Jeffrey Johnson are both gone. You don't really know what's up with Jordan Kelly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you need you need somebody. I and mean, like like Ryan said, uh, Jacob Lacey's not going to come in and just be all Big Twelve guy. He's a body that you need, but he's you know he's not somebody you can lean on. Isaiah Coe has got potential to be really really good. Um, and you know it, it's it's the case for all these guys pretty much. But when we go talk to players, there are a few guys who are as intimidating as Isaiah Coe. That guy is ginormous. I mean, he would just snap me in half with his fingers. Okay, this guy is given a bigger role. I, I feel like has a chance to be really really good. So, well, that's a that's a good addition there. And then obviously, same thing with Woody and you know number one corner on the team and the number one defensive tackle on the team. Boom, right there, these two guys. Yeah, and, and I think Ross's point, too, about the young guys learning from him is huge because how many times do we hear Britt Venables more in the spring than into the season? Because I think he was kind of just in season mode, the no-excuse mode. But in the spring, he had talked about the the value of you know that fifth-year senior, stuff like that. But part of it was, hey, I as a coach am not having to 100% of the time be solely responsible for teaching the younger guy this or that or if someone's doing something wrong in a rep. Yes, uh, for for the corner's sake, Jay Valai can step in, but also Woody Washington's able to step in and say, "I've been there, I've done that, I've got all the all the t-shirts, all the scars, right from from all the games I've played in. Let me show you how to do this or that. Let me teach you how to do this or that." And that sets the tone because there's a limited amount of time those players can be there by by the NCAA. And so you you heard that last year that. Um, while the the older guys were leading and doing a good job of that, they're also in year one of the defense, which just makes it kind of more difficult for that dynamic just because that's how learning works and things like that. And so having a couple of guys back that are going to be the veteran leaders of the room that anyone can come in and be like, no, 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 you do this, not that. Let me show you this trick, not that. It, anything like that, setting that process on it, is going to be huge. I also think that as the talent and just the overall level of competition increases, we're going to start to see how much some of the certain players were asked to do on last year's defense. For instance, Woody Washington. I feel like a lot of times he was so worried about other people's assignments that he wasn't able to, you know, 
solely focus on his because players like that are being asked to do so much in that first year defense because of how talented j- just on sheer yeah. talent like a guy like Woody Washington has. Yeah, good get. Good get to bring him back. And so we'll see. Uh, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of this defense is back. I mean, you lose some key pieces. Deshaun White, obviously a, a big one. Um, Redmond and Johnson, like we just said. But some key pieces are back. And uh, Jay Valai and Brandon Hall, that secondary was improved as it went on. You bring in Woody Washington back, bring in Billy Bowman back. And you have all these other young corners, Kanai Walker and Gentry Williams in the wings. You know, you know, Reason to be optimistic there. So we'll see how that looks. Heading to next year. All right, we'll take a time out. We'll come back. Transfer portal talk. That, that second segment has become the unofficial transfer portal segment. And uh, it'll be again. We'll dive into some uh, latest news on that front, as well as a uh, pop in on what's been going on in Orlando as well. Next up right here on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Ross is at at Ross Lovelace. I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, we're going we're gonna to acknowledge what's going on in Orlando. Obviously, John Hoover stayed back. He's, that's why he's just driving back now. So he's been there at all the practices, all the everything. He was at the game yesterday, the Under Armour All-American, next All-America game. Uh, with obviously just a load of OU guys there. So we'll dive into that much more next week with who, since he's been there the whole time. But we will kind of pop in real quick on what we've been obviously keeping up with, like or like every fan from afar, which has been some OU guys really showing out, really being impressive. Uh, the big guys are obvious, Jackson Arnold, P.J. Adebore, who both were uh, did what they do. And uh, a couple of cornerstone pieces of your team, Nothing's changed on that front. They both went up there and they impressed with all the best recruits. They were all there. It was it was amazing. I was at the media day last week before the Cheez It Bowl, and it was just one after another of them pouring in. Because I hadn't really got a chance to look at the rosters too much. It was just one after another of them pouring in, and like, yeah, pretty much everybody's here. You know, it, it was kind of nuts. And so for those two guys to go in and impress the way they did among all the best, pretty much their peers, I mean, OU fans got to be excited. Yeah, and, and if you're watching it yesterday, Adebore is someone that they kind of gushed over on the broadcast. I think on three put out their like top ten performers, and PJ was number two, Jackson was number three. So we'll be able to circle back with who when he links back up because he was at every single practice at the game. But just real quick, Josh, I just wanted to – we kind of mentioned it on the postgame show uh, for the Cheez-It Bowl that you guys were at Under Armour Media Day and, and stuff like that. But just are the guys that you talked to coming in the door, what, what kind of 
stood out to you from the OU signees? Because all that stuff's at all Sooners, and, and who's going to have more stuff on the game itself? But just you had an opportunity to talk to a bunch of those guys, the, the yeah. eight OU signees that were there uh, as they kind of rolled in to, to start off the festivities in Orlando. Yeah, well, I would recommend that you know fans go check out uh, allsters.com and, and uh, John Hoover Media on YouTube because he posted them all on there. Uh, the few that I got to get to on Media Day, Jackson Arnold, uh, Jaquez Padaway, and Lewis Carter, and all three very similar in the, in the, in the regard of really well-spoken, veteran guys. They also the same thing in terms of don't care about NIL, just want to go to OU and win, you know, stuff like that. I mean, things that fans are just going to eat up, you know what I mean? So I think that's really exciting. It was really nice to get to hear from Lewis Carter. We joked with him about his infamous huddle highlights where he just destroys people and murders that punter. And he laughed about it, uh, saying, you know, I told, I had to tell him, I was like, best huddle I've ever seen, uh, frankly. And he, he was like, hey, man, I appreciate it because it was, uh, it's fun. Uh, I recommend you go watch that. I said that probably 10 times on the show, but it's just hilarious. Um, but they're all really well-spoken, very mature guys. And I just think of like, you kind of have to catch yourself thinking like, these guys are in high school right now. They, they should be, right? They're enrolling early, some of them. It's kind of nuts because um, they're all very mature and and. There's, there's reason to think that this could be the class, and we've said this before at, at fear of going down the uh, the Rattler, Hazelwood, that that crew, of uh, that this class is going to win OU and Addy, but this class feels special. It does for Oklahoma, and uh, I didn't really cover OU that closely at that time, so I can't really speak to how mature those guys were in high school and things like that, but I'll say for these guys, the ones I've gotten to see and hear from, it's uh, across the board. You can tell. Kind of, kind of like remember Ryan. Whenever we first got to meet all the assistants that Brent hired, we're like, "Oh, we see why Brent Venables likes these guys. They're just yeah. like Brent Venables, you know." And kind of the same way here, like they're all I can, they're all Brent Venables. I can just see why he would like them. Like they fit kind of his mold. Um, so, Oaklands should be really, really excited. And uh, again, I recommend you go check out Hoove was busting it all week in Orlando. He caught up. I think, I think everybody, Peyton Bowen, Caden Green. Mm-hmm. Also, three I just mentioned, um, more. There was seven. There was eight guys there. I think it'll actually end up being seven because Derek LeBlanc was with OU, so he never actually made it over there. But there was a couple more um, there. So I recommend you go check it out um, because you got to hear from all of them, and they all were they all were dropping bars left and right of uh, excited to be there, and it doesn't matter to me. We're just going to win, blah, blah, blah. I asked Jackson Arnold about you know OU signing a class they did despite the 6-6 six and six season. He was like, well, it's because we all – believe in what you know what they're doing and we all want to be at OU we don't really it doesn't really matter what's going on right now because we we believe more in the direction rather than what's already happened like it just doesn't matter so exciting exciting times for for OU fans for for good reason yeah well yeah um, I oh, go ahead I obviously wasn't able to be there or anything but just just the highlights were fun to watch because you know you have yeah it goes from defense to then you then you flip over to offense and Jackson Arnold's throwing passes and Caden Green had a pancake block. It's just like everywhere you look, it, it seemed like a, there was an OU player making plays. Just just from the couch perspective, it was it was pretty eye opening to see all the talent on the field that's coming to Norman next year. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you uh, if you're turning into an All Star game and they're running the graphics, it's like and there's how many OU guys here and they're running that graphics it's not just one or two like that, that's what you want to see as a fan when, when you're talking recruiting yeah and they are the, the who did get with all of them i, I left out uh somehow pj and he, he got with him and then also um i just had it caden green or oh, jacoby johnson jacoby johnson mustang mustang boy um he so he got 
he got with everybody. So it's all there and uh, got great photos of all of them together, all doing the horns down thing. So it, 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 you know, it's a cool, cool thing for OU fans to get excited. OU fans are much more into the future than the what has happened, obviously, and for good reason. Um, lots of reasons to be excited, though. I mean, this is a very good class. A lot more guys are playing down in San Antonio too, so we'll try and keep up that from afar. Um, but uh, yeah, good good stuff from from Orlando. For I think for who've got a response on the horns down pick too from a from a Texas commit. Yeah, Jonte Cook. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the quote tweet saying he yeah he likes his guys better or whatever. Which I mean, what do you expect him to say? I love it. I love getting the rivalry going already. I think Jackson Arnold was asked too about kind of the Arch Manning thing. You know of of. You guys are connected, right? I mean, you just yeah. are. Oh, you in Texas, and he kind of was like, "Yeah, I look forward to playing him." You know, he, Jackson Arnold is very well spoken. Um, he may offer a headline here and there, but he's not going to slip up. He's he's really polished. Uh, it's kind of stupid, actually, how uh, how good he is behind the camera and stuff. Uh, we got him for like twenty minutes, and he was great. So I recommend you check that out on uh, on allsooners.com. Very productive week uh, there in Orlando for Hoove, and uh, I was able to help a little bit there on media day. So flipping over some transfer portal talk, like I said, Oklahoma did get some news in this area. We'll start off in, it may not seem like much, but they, they needed one. They needed a punter and they got a good one from central Michigan. Luke Elzinga is the punter. I think I'm saying that right. It's a fun name. All Mac punter. Uh, I mean, he, he really, he's good. I mean, you lose Michael Turk, which is one of those things you just kind of take for granted. I mean, you don't really have to think about it too much. Michael Turk was a good punter. It's one of those things you don't, you don't realize until you have one that's not very good or very reliable and you're constantly not capitalizing on pinning teams deep or getting out of your own end or, or whatever. And this is a guy who, like I just said, was all Mac, has had was has been the starting punter there for three seasons. Good averages, longest punts are in the 60s in terms of yardage. I mean, he this is a good get for Oklahoma because they need one and seemingly steps right in. He'll be the replacement for Michael Cirk. They do have Brady Braun there, but he was just a true freshman this year so. Um, Elzing is a little bit of an older guy. Seems like a, a slam dunk get for Oklahoma here. Yeah, the only question is what can he do throwing wise? Because we learned this year that right. that is a necessity for the punters. But yeah, I mean, you're plugging a hole at least where you feel like you've if like worst case scenario you now have a competition at punter, which we we know that's what this staff is for. Uh, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I would have rather grabbed a kicker out of the portal, but uh, I guess beggars can't be choosers. And so you, you fill one of those spots with, again, someone incredibly experienced, much like Turk. When you just look at the numbers coming from Arizona State, you're like, oh, this isn't just a, hey, you got a punter out of the portal. It's like you got a guy that's going to put himself up there uh, when you're sifted by punting stats and all that stuff, and he's going to be on the front page always uh, in the NCAA rankings. So that's key for Oklahoma, especially if, um, you continue to have scenarios where the offense is more consistent, but still has those quick three and outs here and there. Uh, having a guy like that that can help you flip that field and, and take a little bit of the pressure off the defense, that's going to be key for another year or two at Oklahoma while Jeff Levy really figures out how he wants to, to mix those tempos because he did a better job of that in the Cheez-It Bowl, and hopefully he rolls that into next year. Yeah, it's good to see intentional gets out of the portal like this identifying you know areas where you might not be as strong or you know you're losing a key guy even even if it's not you know a key guy from like the outside perspective the OU coaches know how much you know Turk was able to change the field switch the field and um, help out the you know the OU defense and put them in a better position when he needed to so identifying that and, and getting that out of the portal is definitely encouraging to see out of the you know the coaching staff. 
elsewhere in the transfer portal. We talked just a little bit ago about defensive line being something that Oklahoma needs to try and add more of. And they're in the running here for Devon Sears, who is a Texas State DL right now. And he's kind of funny because he's just climbing the ladder. Uh, he's a Juco guy, transferred from junior college to Texas State, bought his time waiting for an opportunity, played this year, was a big part of their defense, their defense, racked up some tackles for loss, things like that. Now he entered the portal again looking for a bigger opportunity. And his final three is Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Penn State. So it's kind of this is one of those guys who was you know, overlooked, not heavily recruited, went the JUCO route, playing on a D1 program, albeit a small one in Texas State. Now he's got Blue Bloods after him. I think that kind of goes – it speaks to his work ethic and his improvement over his time. So Oklahoma in the running here, certainly have a pretty good shot. Um, a Detroit native, I mean, you just – you need help in this area. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he's been you know fairly productive in his time at Texas State and – like I said, it continues to climb the ladder. So we'll see if Oklahoma can make another transfer addition uh, here on, the, on that defensive line. Yeah, OU needs bodies, like we said, more than anything. Because it, even if the guys that come in and they have a, a Jeffrey Johnson type season where they're they're fine and flash for a rep here or there, uh, they're just hitting the reset button. Like we said, when you lose, first off, when your defensive line on campus is not the size, height, weight, prototype that Brent Venables would want anyway, then you lose a couple of those freshmen that you're trying to to build that depth in through the portal. You're just going to need some bodies. So they, they need some holdovers, whether Sears is a guy that can make an impact or we've seen uh, the next wave of portal additions after bowl season here. If OU can go pluck a, a talented guy off a roster that, you know, there's a couple out of A&M, Michigan, stuff like that, that if you can go and get one of those guys that can be depth and, and maybe elevate your ceiling, if you happen to hit on all those guys, like it, it's a win, but more than anything, the Sooners just need bodies for that rotation. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think that his his trajectory, you know, keeps changing. Sears, he started at junior college, went to Texas State. I feel like he his ceiling keeps raising at every level he goes to. Um, and so being with a staff like like Oklahoma, the competition level um, definitely will will help um, raise his trajectory. He seems like an extremely hard worker um, from from all accounts um, and just like the way that he's improved every single year should definitely be encouraging. If OU's able to land him, I did see he tweeted this morning that he was in Norman and then yesterday tweeted that uh, OU had the best fan base he's ever seen. So definitely two, two positive things um, on, on that recruiting front. Yeah, Oklahoma seems to be doing a good job. Yeah, I like those things that Rosh said. He's in Norman right now uh, on a visit, so he's, he's touring the old campus. And, uh, yeah, I think he tweeted something. Yeah, he tweeted something, and then, uh, you know, it was some uh, OU fan reply saying 90, 95% of these replies are OU fans pumping you, and he, he replied to that saying, you know, like, oh, he said facts with the, the red O. So he seems to be liking it. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens if OU Oklahoma can, can land him, but – uh, they could use it. So kind of wrapping up that, that portal talk, what, what else does Oklahoma need? Um, also, like we said, defensive line, is there, is there glaring things that Oklahoma should try to add in particular uh, that you guys think like they haven't addressed this yet, but it wouldn't hurt to bring in somebody in this position. Anything that uh, jumps off to you guys? Um, I, the, the issue you have, I guess it's not really an issue, but the thing you have now is, at spots like safety, you're losing 
a Trey Morrison, a Justin Broyles, but you sign seven defensive backs, so you don't want to clog the the development path for for those guys. You've also got young guys like Robert Spears Jennings, who we saw play a little bit. If you can go out and it, similar at corner, you don't want to like block the path of a Dolby or a Gentry Williams, or if Kenai Walker can come on strong. So I, I'm really just looking at. Can you get a couple of maybe defensive tackles in just for depth? And I don't think another wide receiver would hurt too much yeah. just, just to kind of build out that room because we saw this year um, if if you've got a couple of freshmen that, that don't come along and then like a J.J. Hester gets hurt and if you don't trust somebody, then OU is rolled with three or four wide receivers for for the kind of the back end of the season once they had made that determination to go to the Mims, Farouk, Stoops lineup. So – I don't think a, another wide receiver would be the worst thing in the world for Oklahoma, but I, I think now you're able to kind of like what Ross is talking about. Also, kicker they need a kicker, but like Ro- what Ross is talking about, you can make those. Uh, you can be selective and say no, we want we don't need bodies outside of maybe the defensive line, but if there's a guy that could come in and actually compete and raise the ceiling of the team, then yeah, you can take a look at that in the portal. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think wide receivers one to to look at. I know they missed out on the. Uh... I think the Trey Harris, Louisiana Tech, Tech. yeah, yeah. Trey Harris, yeah, Um, yeah, that would have been a big get. I I think that um, you know, obviously, I'm not really sure what happened with that with this whole situation, but if you're having to move defensive backs to wide receiver in the middle of the season, not not out of necessity, but just just like that situation in general speaks to you know anyone could have gotten reps at wide receiver this year. It was pretty wide open. Um, if, if you're allowing guys to move in the middle of the season like that um, to compete for reps, then then you probably should be looking into, you know, bringing in some more talent at that position too, just to just to uh, for competition purposes, at least. Um, and so, you know, uh, supplying Dylan Gabriel with as many playmakers as possible next year, if that is the route that they're going to go, uh, would definitely be smart. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um Especially, you don't know what Marvin Mims is doing. Um, yeah. He's, he's a big X factor here, but assuming he goes to the NFL, which I think he will. I, I don't know. I'd slightly lean that way, but it really it could go either way. Um, I mean, Julio Furuk is ready to be number one, and you have Drake Stoops back, and you have J.J. Hester, like we said. L.V. Bunkley Shelton is still there. You have these young guys, Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, but it just it wouldn't hurt to add at least one more older guy, uh, I actually think. You know, somebody who could kind of come in, kind of a la Mike Woods type, you know, just kind of be a good number three option for you, a veteran who's played somewhere else in Power 5, preferably, obviously, that can just kind of be another option for you. That I don't think that would hurt at all. Now, if him stays, that, that you know, that's not as necessary. Um, but that that's for sure. A kicker, for sure, I think it wouldn't hurt. And, you know, I, would we say no to a quarterback? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You have Gabriel – you think back, he still hasn't said anything. It would shock me if he's not, but he hasn't said anything. Jackson Arnold coming in, who's, like we just said, is all these great things, but he is a true freshman. I can't see Davis Bevel play again, um, and I don't know if General Booty is a realistic option. I, I just honestly don't know. Um, so, I mean, maybe another quarterback that's at least viable wouldn't be bad. Um, I don't know. It's hard to get transfer quarterbacks who know they're not going to really play. You saw that last year, but if you could find one that's any kind of, uh, you know, if we need to, emergency guy. Because what happens if Gabriel goes right now? I mean, you're probably starting Arnold with really not any great backup option. I mean, it wouldn't hurt, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. It wouldn't hurt uh, to, to bring something in. 
in that area. So we'll see. Maybe in a tight end, too. I mean, you have Stogner back, but after him, a lot of young guys. So, I mean, there, there's some area. And there's nothing that's dire, but there's some ways that you could, you know, help your roster out a little bit here. So we'll see what they do uh, before all things are said and done. Kicker's dire. Kicker is dire. Zach Schmidt was the 92nd ranked kicker in the country. Like Zach Schmidt, he ran in the touchdown. Um, He's a a local guy, Bishop McGinnis, but uh, some really brutal misses down the stretch and uh, in the Cheez-It Bowl. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what he can do. We'll see what he can do uh, improving going into next year. But that's that's for sure. Maybe uh, Elzinga can just double duty. Maybe he'll just be the he'll do do both. Go cyber route. Just uh, do both. We kind of we we got away from our roots. We need to get back to that. Just one what, guy who does it all. What if Brent Venables came out in 2023 and was actually like, you know what? I didn't bash analytics, but I told you like it's an ebb and flow. Now I'm just we're going for it on every fourth down. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're, we're just <laughs> screw kicking. <laughs> no more kicking like that high school that just goes for it every fourth down. Um, I wouldn't put it past him. Maybe maybe he'll just totally reinvent himself going into year two. Who knows? Um, all right, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll wrap up. We'll react a little bit to the C, uh, the cultural playoff a little bit. Maybe make fun of USC just a tiny bit, tiny bit. And then we'll also dive into some hoops and on the uh, on the way out there, as well as soon as the NFL. A crazy OU NFL story um, that I uh, want to make sure we give a little bit of time to on the way out here. So that's coming up next, final segment on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Last few things here we'll send you on your way into your January, uh, first January weekend. Of the year, uh, let's react real quick to the CFP uh, uh, on the uh, first part here. Obviously, um, it still feels like Oklahoma should just be in this thing because they were in it so many times in a row. Um, it's kind of an adjustment, but there was um, the CFP over the weekend. Finally, good games. I mean, what an amazing sight that was. Because outside of uh, the OU Georgia Rose Bowl, the good games have been hard to find. We got a couple of good ones. TCU, how about that? Beating Michigan. They're in the national championship game. Georgia beats Ohio State. Buckeyes had a field goal at the buzzer to win it and missed it horribly uh, to the left right as the clock struck midnight there uh, in Atlanta. So your national championship game is Georgia and TCU, uh, the Big 12 reps. So we maybe saw the national champs in person this year. Kind of kind of funny. Um, saw what they did to Oklahoma when they played back in October. But um, a really good college football playoff. What, how about that? What a sight. Yeah, it, it was a ton of fun, and I'm just checking real quick. There appear to be three uh, – no, no, no. There are no Waffle Houses in Los Angeles. So uh, mm. Kirby and the boys are going to have to truck back a little bit to hit that late-night Waffle House if they pull this thing off here. But uh, really fun to see TCU go in there, and after all of the talk about 
we're going to Big Ten this thing up from Michigan. It was a Big 12 game on steroids. It looked like old school Big 12, not what we've become accustomed to uh, the last yeah, the last couple of weeks. And it turns out Quentin Johnson being healthy matters a whole lot because he's still that dude. So huge for TCU, big time as well for uh, the Horn Frogs to say, hey, it doesn't take four tries to get this thing done. All you have to do is play some defense and not take your foot on the gas when you get a lead. So I, I just thought it was really impressive for Max Duggan too. This thing felt like it was setting up to be exactly like the Rose Bowl um, with Michigan going down, having a little momentum at the end of halftime. They come out, force a stop, force a pick. And then Max Duggan said, screw all that. We're just going to keep running this thing and put a bunch more points on the board. So uh, as you guys know, if you see me on Twitter, I ride with the Hypnotoad. I'm big on what the, the weirdness that TCU has been doing on social media all year long on top of them being fun to watch. And I'm stoked to get to see them play one more time. And, and this is the matchup I wanted because Georgia and TCU are the two biggest contrasts of styles, I think, in the four teams that made the playoff. And so we get to see them square off, play for it all. I, what more could you ask for? Just looking at like TCU's trajectory this year is just so crazy to me to look back on. I mean, Max Duggan wasn't even starting at the beginning. of like, they, they, they chose Chandler Morris. And they then, let Colorado hang around. Yeah. And, and that's not Kirk they, they, Colorado. No, they were kind of they were kind of getting getting ran by Oklahoma State there for a little bit in the second half. That game that game determined the the season for them, and then they came back and won and never looked back. And fr- from that Oklahoma State win, it almost kind of seemed like they were a team of destiny. Just like you know the the fans, the hypnotoad, everything was just coming together for for TCU, and then. Yeah, on the on the flip side, Georgia that that was an incredible game. Um, yeah, actually, my my future in laws, huge Ohio State fans. Um, I had just proposed, and then I had to watch that game with um, all of the biggest Ohio State fans in the entire world. <laughs> so pretty awkward finish there, um, but it was a crazy crazy game to watch. I think C.J. Stroud was uh, unbelievable in that game. Um, and did really everything he could. I, I think the quarterback story in the national championship game is so cool. You know, Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett. Uh, if Stetson Bennett wins, he he might be the greatest story we've seen in college football. Just I, I know people don't really want to want to hear that because he has the greatest supporting cast. Go, but it, I mean, when have we ever seen anything like this? It's never happened. It would it would be an incredible story. Back-to-back natties really hard. Does not happen very often, and Georgia's on the cusp of doing that and doing it in undefeated fashion, uh, obviously. So it's going to be a fun game on Monday. I'm looking forward to it. TCU's going to be heavy underdogs again, but, like, who cares? I mean, that, that's just yeah. what they do. Um, that's just kind of their thing at this point. So shout-out to the Frogs where, yeah, that Oklahoma State game, they went like that. Oklahoma State has gone like that, uh, just straight into the dirt. Um, mass exodus in the portal today. We kind of were getting our jokes off earlier because – it's it's rough in Stillwater right now, um, so we'll see uh, how they respond to that. But it should be a fun game on Monday. Looking forward to it. CJ Stroud's going to look phenomenal in silver and black. I think we shall make that happen. I wanted him in a Falcons uniform just based off that game. I was yeah. like, okay, I'm sold because he was dropping down. He was he looked like to me almost. Maybe this is a stupid comparison. You guys can let me know, but it was almost like this is kind of what like we thought Rattler was going to be. Like just the way his his kind of throwing motion and his yeah. moving around in the pocket was like. Not a scrambler. He's not a you know. He's not Lamar Jackson or something. But he can move when he needs to. He was dropping dimes everywhere. He was he was. I was awesome. impressed he with his legs game. too. He he ran the ball well. I was impressed. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think he really had. I mean, I knew he could kind of run, but but 
he he was he turned the Jets on a few times there. What about USC? We got to get it in real quick. We won't do it real long, but my gosh, um, is that not just the story that we have witnessed play out in Norman time and time and time again? Um, if you didn't see the game, which there's no way you didn't, if you're no U fan, you were watching that game. Um, USC Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, just the shades of last year's Tulane game in Norman, along with just all the years of Oklahoma not having a defense to go with an incredible offense and quarterback. It just played out again, and it had to feel good for you fans to be on the other side of it and to not and just can laugh at it and let it happen because USC blows a 15 point lead in the final four minutes to Tulane, a just egregious safety that opened the door for it, and Michael Pratt. Dicing him up late. Um, the running back there, Spears, right? He was just running all over the place, and USC loses to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. OU fans rejoice. And um, that that was – I mean, that was just – I mean, exactly what OU fans have been banging the drum about, which is they're not going to win anything of consequence with the defense that Lincoln Riley teams have always had, and they took their victory lap, and, and deservedly so. Yeah, the ghost of John Hoover has once again reared its ugly head to uh, there were more questions about a special teams coordinator as Mario Williams drops the football on the half yard line. Basically, I will never understand how you have Caleb Williams, who is the best player on your team, the best player in the country, and your offensive line stinks while you're handing the ball off in your own end zone as opposed to just saying, hey, Caleb, you're a big hoss. Why don't you go up there and get us a few yards? And at least that way you can look in front of you and throw the ball away. If that's, what's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, They continue to not tackle, but again, uh, I know everyone was really just stoked about the stat floating around yesterday by ESPN stats and info that since taken over in 2017, uh, Lincoln Riley coach teams have blown six, 14 plus point leads. I would just like everyone to know Josh McDaniels has done that five times this year in Vegas. Those are rookie numbers. Like, <laughs> that, that, that ain't, that ain't anything. So, uh, but yeah, uh, good for Tulane too. Uh, and I hope that the angry wave made of Goodyear tires uh, remains on campus uh, in perpetuity. Cause that thing's never going to come down. Yeah, that that was a crazy game, fun game to watch. I, I almost felt bad for Caleb Williams. He played incredible. I mean, like, he couldn't have done anything else. And, you know, we've seen that story so many times. It's just he, he won a few of those last year where he just turned into Superman and put the team on his back. Yeah, who, whoever's, picking, whoever's picking near the top of that 2024 class, I don't know how you could miss on Caleb Williams. He, he is, he's the best player in the country, not even close. Yeah, he's number one uh, in 24. He'd probably be number one right now if he was able to yeah, come out. I agree. Uh, he is he is unbelievable. And uh, but unfortunately, he he seems primed for a career of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and putting up all these stats and winning the Heisman, but not able to win the big one because defense yeah. continues to let him down. And then I mean, what PTSD after the game when they didn't have Caleb Dupost game? They had his name yeah. on the table and they went and they pulled his name from the podium. Just nightmare fuel. Yeah. Uh, someone on the ground, I think they replied to Jason Kersey and said that Caleb did end up doing post game, but the initial, yeah, the initial pulling that name down. And I think the, again, I think this is an LA Times reporter that said the post game presser went 11 minutes. There was an opening statement and then three questions and then USC <laughs> was out of there. Yeah. That it's just, it's just bad. And then, yeah, have, I, I, 
Let I assume that's Lincoln because that seems that he seems to have his fingerprints all over it. Of of no, we don't need Caleb up there at the podium right now. Um, come on, man, chill out with that. Uh, it's it's just ridiculous. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. All right, um, NFL stuff real quick, and then we'll get to some basketball on the way out. Um, you guys can jump into whatever um, stuck out here over the weekend. The big focus for me was obviously Blake Bell. Just nuts, nuts. The the guy has a hip flexor injury in the preseason opener. It was expected to probably miss the entire season, but he works at it. Nearly five months later, he comes back in week 17, and he catches his first career touchdown. Are you kidding me? That That is just nuts. And what a career he's had. I mean, obviously, you know, you quarterback, flips the tight end to try and have a pro career. This is like his eighth season, I think, now. He's been on a few different teams, but he seems to have settled in with the, with the Chiefs. And uh, just nuts that he looked like he was going to miss the entire year. He comes back, catches a tutty first time out in a big win. The Chiefs needed that win, trying to get the one seed. Um, really, really cool story. And he was our Sooners in the NFL focus. It was an easy, easy choice because uh, that just nuts. I mean, just removing the fact that it was his first career touchdown out of it, just the fact that probably season ending, comes back in week 17 and immediately catches a touchdown. Pretty, pretty awesome. But uh, what else stuck out to you guys from the weekend for, for NFL Sooners? Yeah, it's going to be honest. It's a little tough with, you know, the situation we saw Monday Night Football is that's kind of wiped away a ton of just sure. Sunday. You know what I mean? But sure. um, C.D. Lamb will be out there playing this weekend for a chance uh, for the Dallas Cowboys to somehow, some way lock up the number one overall seed in the NFC. I know they need a lot of help, but coming out of that loss to Jacksonville in overtime, that didn't feel – it felt like it was a, all right, Dallas is locked into the five. Do they kind of – you know they want to beat the Eagles, but do they want to kind of coast across the finish, stay healthy? So uh, I think that's big for for CD and that crew. But again, with um, everything that went on in, in that Buffalo Cincinnati game, it was just a, a a tough weekend to kind of look back on. Yeah, uh, uh, agreed for sure. That was a scary situation. Um, the the one the the one OU player that continues to surprise me is not I guess not surprise me, but Ramondre Stevenson is just. A beast. He's incredible. He wasn't really asked to do much this week, but I was watching that Patriots Dolphins game because there were so many Jets playoff implications. And right, you know, he was just he he. Just, whenever they need those three four yards, he can get it every single time. He's a bowling ball on the field. It's incredible to watch. Also, shout out Bobby Evans. He was let go by the Rams um, after won a Super Bowl last year, but then picked up by the Vikings. And frankly, that is a huge upgrade because the Vikings are a playoff contender and the Rams are not. So it worked out for the best for, for old Bobby Evans. All right. Shifting some basketball to wrap up the show. We won't talk about men's team too long here because the middle is going to age poorly because they play tonight. Uh, they play Iowa state tonight, trying to bounce back from losing to Texas on Saturday. Um, Obviously, Longhorns, number six, really good team, came into Norman. It's a one-point win for Texas. It's just the same song and dance. I mean, Oklahoma played pretty well in some areas. They were right there, but just it feels like at the end, they don't quite have the dudes to beat these really good, legitimate Final Four contenders. Um, We'll see how it goes. And, And Porter Moser's teams continue to play well against good teams. They are right in it with these good teams all the time, but... It's 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 just hard to expect them to continually win these games. And the Big 12 is just disgusting. And it's not going to get any easier. And we'll see how they bounce back tonight. But obviously a, a tough loss there against Texas because that would have been such a great way to start Big 12 play to find a way to get that. And they just couldn't quite uh, get over the hump there and get it done. 
Yeah, we were talking about this on Monday, I think, that uh, ESPN's Basketball Power Index, they released, hey, here's the strength of schedule rankings remaining. And literally, 1 through 10 was the Big 12. That is your 10 hardest schedules remaining in the country if you play in this conference. But we talked about this coming into conference play. Oklahoma needs to flip maybe two of these results because they had a a slightly worse non-conference this year than they did last year. So they probably need to flip two, maybe three of these results to to feel better about their their tournament spot. And you had to hope that Grant Sherfield being that kind of shooter, that kind of consistent playmaker, can that be the difference? And for a while, it looked like it was going to be. Sherfield really helped carry them in the first half. And then you saw Jacob Groves catch fire, Jalen Hill as well. And so what Porter Moser after the game talked about, though, is – he still wants Bijan Cortez and Milo Suzan to be that much more aggressive. Don't defer as much to Sherfield because, like, that's why we're playing three guards. So I, I'm kind of in wait and see mode just because, like we talked about all year long, last year you were playing with a bunch of new pieces, but they were older guys. At least now you feel like, okay, Cortez in his second year, Cor- uh, Milo Suzan in his first year, there's a lot of growth potential there. And so I'll be fascinated to see. Can they take those lessons of being more assertive, not just passing the ball, but but going up themselves, trying to create a little bit for themselves, and roll that into a game this evening against Iowa Stakes? If they can do that, then Oklahoma can start to maybe turn around one or two of these close games, and suddenly they'll be in the tournament. Because Lenardi put out his bracketology yesterday. Right now, OU's an 11 seed and the last four buys into the tournament, so not having to play in the first four. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. still have some work to do to, to, to turn this thing around from where they finished last year, which was just on the wrong side of the cut line. Those are the type of games that you that you want to see um, for a measuring stick of improvement, those type of games that they've been in, that they've consistently lost. I mean, I feel like the, the most alarming thing to me is – Everything that works in the first half is exactly what the team goes away from down the stretch in the second half. I feel like the offense, the last 10 to 15 minutes of the game is high ball screen, figure it out. That's really it. It's just kind of dribble around and see what opens up. There's not much, you know, just watching the watching the Oklahoma State game right after, for instance, and watching how Bryce Thompson gets freed up on these screens and elevator screens, and they're just they're putting him through a blender trying to get him open. To watching how you know OU just high ball screen, whatever happens happens. It's it's sometimes really frustrating when the defense is playing you know so so great on the other end and and really competing to kind of give away those possessions on the offensive end by just these long possessions that end in bad fadeaway shots a, a lot and I know you want Sherfield taking those because you know he he's he's that guy in those late situations it's not it's not a you know last season where you know you don't know who's taking Goldwire or Groves who's taking it it's you know it's going to Sherfield but I, I just love to see them kind of you know work to get him open a little bit more and for that to happen like like you mentioned Ryan you know Milos and and Bijan and those type of guys have to continue to step up to get the defense um to to pay attention to them you know that uh, Milos missed three at the end of the game would have been a huge shot in his in his young career for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really tough loss. I I think that tonight will be um, very telling to see how this team responds to a loss like that. And, and Iowa State just knocked off uh, Baylor by by quite a few points. So I mean, yeah, no slouch at all there. Nope, Cyclones are back in the top twenty-five. So another yeah. ranked team into town uh, tonight. Ryan and I will be there. We'll say. Uh, about the Texas game, too. One last final thing. Crowd was on fire. That was as good was awesome. of a Lloyd Noble Center crowd. I've been to a pretty good amount of games there now. 
that was as good of any games I've been. Uh, that was final. That was the Buddy Heald days uh, in terms of it was it was jam packed in there and it was electric. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they can replicate that on a Wednesday night against Iowa State, but we'll, we'll see. Um, that was a lot of fun though. And Porter Moser after the game, I asked him about the crowd, and he was just he pleading, saying, "Please come back, do that again." Um, it helped us. It really did. It helped us. So I, I mean, we literally, he, you know. Please come back. Those are his words. So we'll we'll see if uh, OE fans respond uh, tonight. Ryan and I will be there at Lloyd Noble Center and see what they do against uh, the Cyclones. Yeah, they, they've got a couple of big Saturday tilts here in conference play across uh, February. Bedlam will be a Wednesday yeah. night, 8 p.m. tip. I think that's February 1st, um, if I was looking correctly. But uh, the crowd was there. I just got a little bad news. But, they're going to have to win games for that crowd to, to come back. And, and it, 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 I'm not saying they need to be a top 15 team, but uh, I, I get it. The big it, It's a tough ask in the Big 12, but that's the that's the hand you're kind of dealt. And you got to win a couple of these games to get a crowd like that packed back in there on a Saturday. You got to take advantage of those when they're down to the wire like that. Those exciting mm-hmm. games where you draw the crowd in. It's tough. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Porter, and he expressed that too. He said, disappointed we didn't win for him, um, but ple- pleaded for them to, to come back. So we'll see uh, what it looks like tonight at Lobo Center. Those 6 o'clock tips are tough to get there. Uh, traffic is brutal. So I'm not going to overreact too much to what the crowd looks like at the beginning. But you know, by mid-first half, you know, you know, that probably can tell the story by then. Here's my barometer. I leave... North Oklahoma City at 5.30 when my radio show gets done for... By the time uh, you get there, yeah. yeah. By the time I get there, whoever's there is probably there. So by the time I get there, that that place, uh, that, that needs to be a, a solid crowd for that crew. We'll see what it looks like uh, tonight. As for the women, good win on Saturday. They're in West Virginia in Morgantown. They're trailing at the half. They rally and win that game. Good way to start big, tall play. They come home for a big... Ranked matchup last night against Baylor, disappointing loss. I, you know, I, it's one game. It's and, and the Big Twelve is good in women's hoops as well, so you don't react too much. But this is this is disappointing because I think if you're Oklahoma, they've proven that they can hammer the bad teams. Um, they 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 don't really have a lot of upset potential. Just the way they play, they 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 hammer the bad teams. But they they you're you're kind of still waiting for those signature big wins and they beat Baylor a couple times last year so I don't want to make it act like they haven't proven they can beat Baylor but you're coming into this year they were number 17 in the poll right now home game against the Bears and you're just thinking this is a good spot to continue to build and and climb disappointing and it's a lot of season left so I'm not again, I'm not burying them but this is a this is a, one of those games where people are looking to get invested in the team and they're kind of like oh maybe maybe not you know what I mean so We'll see how they bounce back, but disappointing loss uh, tonight uh, or last night, I should say, to, to Baylor there. Yeah, credit to Josh Poteet, OU Athletics, on this stat that it was the first time since the Big 12 tournament in 2010 that Oklahoma and Baylor met where the Sooners were the higher-ranked teams. So that, that was a big opportunity to kind of roll this thing forward, and unfortunately for them, they just didn't shoot the ball very well in the first quarter. And then they had to play catch up the entire game. And while this is a roster yeah. that is built to play catch up with how they can shoot, uh, it, it just took them a little bit too long to catch fire. And then what we kind of saw out of Baylor in the Big 12 tournament is when they decided it was time to shut the door, they shut the door uh, on Oklahoma. So uh, got to have a better shooting start. Like you said, Josh, it's not 
end of the world by any means. It's just their second loss on the year. It's not like panic button time. It's just disappointing that you'd set yourselves up, yeah. recover from that Utah game, uh, and you'd set yourselves up to say, yep, we're back. We're going to put our – it was an early marker you could have laid down for the Big 12 race. They're not out of it by any means, but you're behind the eight ball because you lost a home game to, to one of the other uh, you know, ranked really good teams, traditional powers here in the Big 12. And just that that little win streak that they went on kind of brought the fans back in after the Utah loss, kind of drew everyone back in. Oh, wait, this team this team may be, may be really doing something. And then, you know, when everyone's watching and they have all eyes on them, you know, 19 of 61 from the floor, 31% overall. Yeah. That, 19 turnovers. That That's a really tough performance. Uh, eight missed free throws. A lot went wrong in that game. There was a lid on the rim. Um and that that's, you know, for, for people who don't watch this team every single game, night in and night out, to tune into that one and see, you know, almost less than 30% shooting from the floor, it's just, that that's a hard one, especially a home game um, and, and against a good Baylor team too. Uh, good Missed opportunity there for the, for the women's team, um, but definitely enough talent to, to rebound. They need to find, they need to find out a way um, to be less reliant on that three point ball because they have a lot of talented offensive players, but just settle, settle too many times. Another big game for them next. They play Iowa state Sunday at home, Iowa state right now, 11 in the AP poll. So another, a big opportunity to bounce right back uh, and to swing things back in your favor. We'll see what they do. And these games are even more important really in the women's game because like last year, I mean the, the seating means more in the NCAA tournament in the women uh, because the first couple rounds are on campus. So last year, OU got to have a pair of home games. Now, granted, they lost big in the second one, but they got to have NCAA tournament games at the Lloyd Noble Center last year. You know they would certainly like that again. But for that to happen, obviously, you got to be a top 4C, which means you got to be in the top 16. There's 17 in the poll right now, and you just lost at home. So, you know, if, if they just narrowly miss it, right, if they end up being a 5C when we get there, you can kind of go back to January and be like, hmm, wish they probably beat Baylor at home. You know what I mean? So games add up. Games add up. So we'll see what they do this weekend. Big game against Iowa State Sunday afternoon uh, against the Cyclones. All right. I think that's it for us. Sorry. Good stuff. Some, some juicy U.S. Men's National Team drama just hit. So I got to scoot out of here. We, we've, we've got mudslinging happening, boys. It's been frantic. Uh, yeah, it's been frantic. You've had lots of uh, good stuff for the soccer show. Yes. we're as soon as we get done here i'm driving to oklahoma city to record that where todd lisby and i are gonna be like so what the hell is going on with the burr halters what's happening (laughs) good stuff as always ross appreciate you hopping in of course of course we'll get who back in next week we'll let's we'll we'll have to get the rest of the story after what after we left on uh late friday friday morning ryan and uh obviously who will Give us all the details of his trip back as he's driving back across the country as we speak uh, to get back to Oklahoma. He's going to just sleep for like three straight days. But thanks much for watching as always uh, and listening, of course. We'll be back next week recapping Hoops Time in Orlando as well as all the latest in the transfer portal, recruiting news, basketball latest, you know the drill. Anything that happens, we'll touch, uh, touch on it next week and wrap it all up for you. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. We'll post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. 
And you can watch the shows on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media, as well. That's it for now. We'll see you back next week. For Ross Lovelace and Ryan Chapman, I'm Josh Callaway. We'll catch you guys next time.